what can happen is you will end up with a voyeuristic couples who they want to be seen and they, they like that attention. When you let in singles, it ends up being a circle of men jerking off to one couple or two couples in the center performing to everyone, which that's fine. If that's what you're looking for, that's exactly the experience you should have. But that wasn't the experience that we were trying to create. We were trying to create a place where people could come in together and experience something together. You know, when, when people hear that I'm involved in this, like, oh, it's just a place where stinky hippies fuck. It's like, now nah, you're missing the point, you know? Um, it really is much more than that. And so we are now taking it out into the world. We formed a nonprofit. We have a proper board. To me, it was important to make a transition as Burning Man was growing and changing, as we saw the numbers increase as Burning Man started getting more and more popular, that, you know, this is a beautiful offering and it has the potential to be even a better offering, but it also has the potential to have something seriously go wrong. I'm Leanne. Welcome to Strippers and Sages, a podcast that explores sex and eroticism through the lenses of art, culture, politics, spirituality, and racial justice. Maybe you've peeped it from the outside. Maybe you've heard rumors about it. Maybe you chalked it up to Playa Legend. Or maybe you're a regular. Today is the day that you get to learn everything you've ever wanted to know about the famous Orgy Dome at Burning Man. This is a long-anticipated interview, and it is an honor to speak with Laszlo and Shade, two of the wonderful, big-hearted humans behind the Orgy Dome, which is the playa gift of the camp, and then there's only love. Originally formed in 2003, the theme camp started out with a small group of sex-positive friends, a six-person tent, and a few air mattresses, so never underestimate what can grow from such ingredients. Since then, it has grown into a 4,500-square-foot air-conditioned structure, a camp of over 300 members, and a 501c3 nonprofit that provides education and training in consent culture and consensual non-monogamy. In addition to the Orgy Dome, they host workshops throughout the year on topics ranging from erotic massage to the legal aspects of producing erotica. There's so much care that goes into creating this safe, sex-positive, consensual play space for couples and more sons. And the devotion and imagination that these two bring to the project along with their team is truly inspiring. So without further ado, I bring you Laszlo, President Emeritus, and Shade, current president of Consensuality, the host of the Orgy Dome at Burning Man. Laszlo and Shade, thank you so much for joining me today. It is great to have you on Strippers and Sages. We are happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So I would love to just start off for those who maybe have never been to the Orgy Dome or have never even been to Burning Man. What can you just tell us about the space? What can you describe sort of like the layout, what what this space is that you've created? And then we'll get into its origin story a little bit. Well, first of all, the space itself um, is what we provide is a service to the residents of Black Rock City, a space where people can love and be loved um, in a safe environment. Uh, the space itself is about 5,400 square feet. Uh, so it's rather large, it's air conditioned. Uh, it has, uh, of course, areas where uh, you have the opportunity to get a consent talk and understand what enthusiastic consent is before you enter the space. We have an area called Aphrodite's Garden, um, where again, you can wait and talk and meet people before you enter the actual dome itself. And then the dome itself is set up as a beautifully decorated area with mattresses and couches and soft, fluffy things for people to engage in the activities of just loving each other. And we have both an, a just us section and an open to more section, um, providing people with kind of the ability to choose an area that allows them to explore their sexuality with the people or persons that they enter with um, at, their, at a pace that feels comfortable to them. This is a place of exploration and love, but it is also a place of understanding who you are and maybe even stretching your own boundaries and limits but within your own frame that feels comfortable for you. 
And so it provides many things for many people, whether it's just, hey, I really want to get together with you tonight. And oh, my goodness, our tent is so full of dust. I want to be somewhere that's just a little more romantic to, hey, we just hooked up. Um, you know, where do you want to go? <laughs> so it, it, it provides a, a lot of different things to many different people. We'll have people who are over at, there's a, you know, kids camp kind of area. And, you know, the, the kids are down with babysitters and they're coming on over to see us. <laughs> you name it, it's, it provides whatever service for people who want to engage in, in sexual, enthusiastic, sex positive play activity. Um, for whoever you are and however you consider yourself. That's awesome. What a what an important offering. And how do you keep the dome? Well, I know it's not really actually a dome, but how do you keep that space dust free? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a funny story, actually. It's not a dome at all. And uh, it just sounds a whole lot better than the orgy series of interconnected carports. Um, the, we, it's a zippered enclosed structure. So we build these exterior structures. Uh, we tape them all together. we like the roof is covered with uh, reflective material so the sun doesn't beat down on it. Then there's an interior structure that's built inside that, which has soft felt walls and, you know, rubber floors and stuff like that. And then there's a zipper. There's only one in and out to the structure itself. And it goes through a zippered area that goes through another uh, sort of meeting space. And so it stays pretty clean. I mean, we, you know, we change the sheets and do the, the typical cleanup stuff. Um but it, it stays uh, pretty clean and it's air conditioned. We run a number of uh, air conditioners and swamp coolers off a 120K camp generator. Mm -hmm. So it's nice and cool inside during the day and it stays nice and warm at night. And uh, it's a really, you know, we have mood lighting. It's a really nice space. It's it's very classy inside, I have to say. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> You've been there, I trust. I have I've more than once. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, very, very few people have only been once. Let's <laughs> we do get a lot of repeat customers. We're very happy about Lots that. Lots of repeat customers. Well, it's actually quite funny because um, I found my way there. I, I was very interested in exploring all of the sex positive spaces my first year at Burning Man. And I remember I, you know, was like looking in the book and trying to and didn't know anything. It was my first time there. And I looked something up that was like, you know, the sensual den or like the den of sensitivity. It sounded, you know, like soft core, whatever, essential exploration space. I was I was 24. I was, you know just sort of dipping my toes. I'm like, that'll be, I'll go check it out. It sounds really classy. And I went and it was literally a U-Haul truck of people fucking like <laughs> 50 bodies minimum. Like I went in, I had them like climbing on top of people. It like smells like all of the yeah. humans on the planet. And I was like, whoa. And I went out, I like went left and stood outside. And actually that is where I met my, th th that year's Burning Man, my only, my Burning Man husband right outside of that truck who then told me about the orgy dome. <laughs> I was like, the orgy dome. I don't know. Like, uh, how can it get any more raunchy than what I just <laughs> left? <laughs> and then I go into the orgy dome. It's like soft lighting. They're giving me a towel. Like I have my own space. So I, uh, I, I appreciate yeah, the misleading uh, branding. But <laughs> a lot of people have when they see like Burning Man orgy dome, they immediately think of what your first experience was in that truck. And right. They are shocked when they actually come by and go, wait a minute, this is actually nice. That's, you know? Yeah. I, mean, I want to go read a book in there. Yeah. Well, they think of it as like, oh, it's just going to be some grope fest or, you know, they don't realize it. The Orgy Dome always had more of this element to it that it was a consensual mm -hmm. space, mm -hmm. a space of couples and morsems, um, and that it wasn't a free-for-all, but it has evolved over the years um, because we as a society have evolved over the years. And so it's important for us. We don't just want to barely keep up. We're looking to look ahead. What is in the future? How are we leading a sex positive community um, and finding ways to make it stronger and better? I have, uh, I, I've been married for 28 years. I've been with my husband for over 30. And uh, we have two children um, and uh, of one is of adult age. And when I design and when we look at this, I'm thinking if my, you know, if my child was in the playa and was connecting with someone, is this the safest place 
that my child could interact with someone mm. sexually. Mm-hmm. Is this the place that they would say, yeah, this is where I feel safe to take you back to. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about if it's just a one night hookup. I'm not worried about someone coming and trying to find me later. I'm not going to some stranger's tent somewhere where I don't know if my wishes will be received. When you receive a 20 minute consent talk (laughs) before you enter a space and everyone else has, we monitor the space, but we also empower our guests to monitor the space too, to keep it sacred. It's really difficult for something to happen there when everyone is kind of paying attention and making sure that the space stays as sacred as it does. And I will say about Burning Man participants in general is that they are looking to engage in in experiences that matter. And so they do want to keep the safe the the space sacred. They do want to make sure that it is something that is safe for everyone. Um, they are our best as far as making sure that the, the space stays what it is intended to be. They're better than we are. You know, we look around, we try to do our best, we monitor the area, but they're the ones that make it happen. And we empower them to do so. Yeah, we That's only, part of our speech. <laughs> we only have one or two dome monitors in the actual space while it's open because mm-hmm. we don't want it to be full of people just standing around watching other people. Um, so... Part of our consent speech is that we tell people, look, we're going to be in there to protect you, but we can't be everywhere. We don't want to be everywhere. You don't want us to be everywhere. If you see something that makes you uncomfortable, if somebody's violating your consent, raise your hand, stand up, say something, and we will come over and assist you. And our dome monitors have radios on uh, that are hooked up to people outside the space. We have security. Anybody does anything hinky in there, uh, they're not in there for long. And And it's surprising. We have very few problems. It it really is. And 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 again, like I said, I think it's because of Burning Man itself. And then also that we just make sure that we try to take care of the place as, to the best of our ability. And, you know, it's, and like I said, it's, it's definitely been something that has gradually happened over the years. Yeah. Our, our dome greeters, who are the people that do the orientation speeches once people have gotten through the initial sort of screening process, um, are usually not first time campers with us or they're working with someone who's a longtime camper. And so they look for people that are going to be potentially problematic. They look for people that are a little bit in, you know, um, shall we say, uh, overindulged so that they're not really able to give informed, Mm -hmm. enthusiastic consent, or they're looking for people that appear to be uncomfortable being there. One of the things that we encounter seldom, but occasionally is a couple uh, where one of the parties has sort of convinced the other one to go. And they're, they don't really want to be there, but they're going because their partner wants them to be there. And you can sort of tell after a while, after doing this for a number of years, who isn't really into this. And so we will take those people aside and talk to them. And, you know, it's not an accusatory thing. We're not trying to get anybody in trouble. It's like, look, we're going to be here all week. If you guys want to talk more about this, go home. If you have any questions about what you're going to encounter in here, talk to us now. We'll be happy to explain it to you. And, and then our monitors, you know, the, the, the dome uh, greeters have radios too. And so if somebody goes in and they're like, oh, no, 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 we're good. We'll talk to the dome monitors and say, hey, look, keep an eye on this particular couple for a particular period of time to make sure that they're really okay. Hmm. And, you know, maybe once every couple of years, you'll encounter somebody where it's really obvious that someone's been coerced, but we, we get those people out or we don't even let them in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there a certain kind of training or orientation that your monitors have? Do they, are they doing this work outside of Burning Man or what, what's their sort of- A lot of us, I mean, we, a lot of us will work with um, play groups, poly groups, swing clubs, things like that. And we teach this kind of consent outside of the burn. That's the reason that we formed the nonprofit and and became an educational thing. This, this sort of became a, a teachable moment as it were, but the- the people that want to be dome greeters go through a process of training. Um, We have, I mean, over the years, we've done actual gatherings where we get together and we do trainings. That isn't practical sometimes, so we do online trainings. And then new greeters who have been with a camp for a year or two who want to be greeters who've gone through the training are then assigned to work with a longtime greeter their first couple of times through so they learn how everything works. 
and then we let them go on their own. And everybody has their own sort of way of doing this. They cover the same basic stuff, but some people are very, you know, this is how it is and this is how you do it. And some people are just, hey, this is fun and it's great. And they tell jokes. And I mean, I love being a dome greeter. That's that's one of my favorite things to do on Playa. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it's you know it's part of our you know camp duties, and everyone has to do different shifts or different things to help out the camp. It's kind of part of you know many hands make it you know it's the burn. I want people to go out and have a great time and enjoy their burn, and and they do a few hours to help out the camp. And most and many people who, especially the ones who are greeters, will just hop in and start greeting. It's it's just a lot of fun. I love seeing the people who come in. Like I said, you see the variety of the world come through our doors. It's not standard. Like whoever you think you're going to see, you're going to see a thousand times more different. And people who are just like you and people who are completely different from you in every single way. And it's it is just wonderful to see really everyone all together in one space. And when everyone else has that opportunity to look around and see the variety of life and understand that everything is beautiful, they walk out and they thank us in a way that is remarkable. Mm-hmm. It, it humbles me and yet, you know, it excites me and makes me think like, yes, I got to do this over and over again every year. I don't care how difficult it is and how exhausting it is. You know, I, I love hearing the thanks that we get afterwards of people saying, I didn't realize there were people who are just like me. (laughs) It's what's really, I mean, there's so many amazing experiences, but the, I think, and shade may back me up in this. The best part is when you get a couple that have never done anything like this before. And they're at Burning Man. And so they kind of talk about it and they decide, hey, let's check this out. And they're nervous, but they're, you know, they're excited. And they go in and they come back out 15, 20 minutes later. And they're like, oh my God, that was epic. Thank you. We'll be back every day the rest of the week. Sometimes they come out with other people in tow and we've changed their lives. You know, it's it's really, uh, it's very rewarding, you know, yeah. th- that we can open up people's minds into you know, sex is not something that is just between two people that are together and they're never supposed to look at anybody else. And they're never supposed to be in the same room with anybody else. And it's this sort of constrained thing. We give people a different way to think about it. Totally. And also when we talk about enthusiastic consent too, I'll, you know, we get couples and we realize sometimes the orgy dome is on a bucket list. Like we're going to go to that. We're going to go to the orgy dome. And again, I've been married for a long time. I, and you see a couple who's obviously been together for a long time and they're thinking enthusiastic consent. Like what do I, you know, I, we do our thing. I touch you here, you do this. And they, they have their process. And I, I, I'll, I'll kind of in my speech, I'll say, you know, even if you're used to doing something, you're used to certain things that have always had consent before, this is a new space. This is a new experience. Um, other people are going to be around you. Um, your feelings are going to be different. This is still a perfect time to practice enthusiastic consent. May I touch you here? You know, oh, can you stroke me like this? You know, asking and finding your agency and authority to say, I want this or I don't want this or how about this? And having that communication. And so it's not simply for couples who are brand new together, but this also works for couples who have been in long relationships together, who don't take that time and the moments to really talk about maybe what they want or what they don't want. And when you put someone in a new situation, it gives you that good reason to start that practice. And a lot of people have come out saying that they got to try new things or hear about experiences. They just never really talked about it. It was on autopilot for a while for them. Mm -hmm. And so enthusiastic consent, while a lot of times people think it's not romantic or it's, it's, it makes a lot of sense. Um, Bodies can say one thing, but our minds are very important. And it's what does our mind want, not just what our body wants. So that's why communication is, and very vocal communication is important. People probably think about the orgy dome as going to be just a space. And what they don't realize is the space is the place to practice the stuff that we teach. Mm. And the space is not really the focus of the gift. The gift is, is the orientation. The gift is the speech and the experience. And the dome is just a place to do it. Yeah, sometimes people, you know, if you come in there, there's not a lot of people. It's like, we don't provide an orgy. The people who come in 
They provide the orgy. We provide the space, but we also provide the framework, the structure. And part of when we're talking to people and making them feel comfortable about it is getting them in that, that mindset that this is what we're going to try to do. And, you know, are we going to do this in a way that is the experience that we want? I want everyone to craft the exact experience that they are looking for. And so it's not up to me to do it. There's real power in and and in these spaces where, like you're saying, consent conversations maybe don't happen or conversations about desire or boundaries with such rigor as they need to happen when you're then opening up a container and that that really is an invitation for a couple that's maybe or a person that's used to something more quote unquote standard or just hasn't been challenged in that way. And so it's a real opportunity. What what else do you see as being sort of the medicine of engaging with eroticism in a public setting? Like why is it important well, that we... We're not... Mm-hmm. First off, the Orgy Dome really isn't a public setting. It's, well, it's more public than it, it, my it, bedroom. It's, it's more public than most people's bedrooms. Yeah. But, you know, we are not advocating that you go out on an open playa and get it on with your partner. That's actually a crime. Sure, it's a um, sanctioned And we're not, space. you know, we're not suggesting that you go out on the street and do silly things. No. But if you and your friends want to get together in the privacy of your own home and play... As long as everybody's on the same boat and everybody know everybody's in the same boat and everybody knows what they're going to be doing and everybody's down, that's fine. And we want to we want to give people the um, sort of the okay to try things like this within the context of their relationships. We're not suggesting that they break up and go do stuff. We're suggesting that as couples, they expand their relationships and and become closer and increase their communication by doing this. Uh, what I was and this, taking me back to like my own youth, um, and of course I was raised in a very heteronormative type middle class society. And if you, as as a female, um, if you wanted to have sex, this is a teen thing. If you wanted to have sex, you were a slut, and if you didn't want to have sex, well then you were a prude. So there was no win. It was like you're either a prude or a slut. And so kind of what they taught girls was at that time was to let it happen. If you just let it happen, well, oh, you weren't asking for it. You weren't approved. You're not a slut. And so to let something happen, you lose your voice. You don't speak. And then again, in this kind of heteronormative thing, it's then the males push just, oh, well, I'll do this. I'll push this. I'll push this. I'll see how far I can get. And amazingly, this works out most of the time. And we call this romantic. And this is how our society kind of does it. We send signals, they get the signals, hopefully they interpret it right. And it's just so we're not put with a label that nobody wants. Instead of being who we just want to be at that moment, knowing that that moment can change. And it puts women in a place of being quiet and men in a place of being, you know, pushing. And when it doesn't work out, then we're surprised. No, that's it's we are setting up little disasters all the time with this lack of communication. And while it's while we're so trained to think that that is normal, it is not. And that's and we're looking to change that. You know, Shade Shade used a, a phrase here about we set up these communications, we set up these, we send out signals, and we hope that they're properly received. And one of the major problems in society today, I think, is that these signals get crossed. I say something, you hear something else. And the, the, the beauty of the informed, enthusiastic consent concept that we preach is that that doesn't happen. The whole idea is we are very clear about what we want before we start doing it. And you are very clear in what we're trying to suggest. And you get to say yes or no. And that not only empowers the yes, it empowers the no. I mean, we teach people that it's okay to say no and it's okay to counteroffer. I want to do X. I don't want to do X, but I'd really be interested in doing Y. Well, I don't really want to do Y. How about Z? Well, yeah, Z sounds good. Let's do Z. Now we've got a deal, right? It's sort of like contract law right. in a sense, <laughs> but there's no, there's no misconstruing what's been said. And if you are... If you act this way in your sexual encounters, it's going to eliminate a lot of the kind of problems that we have on college campuses of people saying, well, I thought she was down or she says, I thought he was down and these, you know, mixed signals. Now, there's no question that a lot of these, quote, mixed signals aren't mixed signals at all. 
there's sexual assault and, you know, person A doesn't give a damn what person B was down for. They're going for it anyway. We can't fix that. We're not trying to fix that. We're trying to fix the problems that occur at the margins where there's a legitimate misunderstanding between people because they haven't been trained to talk about their sexuality. And so we send out a signal. We say it the way we think we would want to hear it. The other person hears what they hear through their filter and misinterprets it. Then they get into their their scene and lo and behold, somebody's boundaries are offended because somebody, you know, crossed their communications. So this is a much better way to deal with this. One of the things that we say is this, one of the sexiest things you can hear is the word no, because it means that your yes is real. And we have to learn as a society that no isn't a bad thing. Hearing a no doesn't mean anything negative. Um, and that goes for both men and women. Women also have to learn how to hear no. Men have to learn how to hear no. Both need to learn how to hear it gracefully and both need to learn how to say it gracefully. See, that's not what I'm looking for. But, and that's okay. That's positive. That's a wonderful thing because there are things that we each are looking for. We just have to find out what it is. Yeah, and the, the other part of the informed, enthusiastic consent part is the enthusiastic element. We, mm -hmm. we take the position that anything other than an enthusiastic yes is a no. So if I say, hey, would you like to do yes? And you go, eh, okay, that's not a yes. <laughs> that's a no. Uh, maybe later or, you know, talk to me once we're inside. None of those are yes. Hell yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it now. Those are all yes. You know? We're people pleasers. Uh, most people, they want to say yes. They want to please someone. No one wants to disappoint anyone. We got to get over that. Have, we have to learn. And what's one of, sometimes one of the hardest things to do is agency over yourself. To really say, what do I want? Sometimes you don't know the answer. Um, I always say you don't have to give an answer right away. You say, can you say, let me think about it. If, a, if you're in the open to more section and a couple says, hey, you know, we've been watching and thought you were really sexy. We'd love to join you. You could say, you know, give us a moment to think about it. I kind of want to be with my partner for a little bit here. And, and we're not sure. Can we discuss it and get back with you? It's okay to not have an answer right away. You're allowed to process things. So that's a really useful tool. Are those the sort of nuggets that you give within the consent talk? Because it's one thing to sort of talk about yes. consent versus then having the language to be able to use it in the moment, especially if you're unpracticed in that. I do like to give examples. I think Al does too. So, uh, and, and the other part of that, as far as the dome is concerned, is we include um, the concept of sort of voyeuristically watching other couples as something that you need consent for. Mm. So there's a difference between being in the space and playing with your partner and sort of looking around and seeing the other people that are around you playing. That's exciting. That's okay. But if you're going to stop and sit on a couch and watch another couple play, you need permission from You've them. You've now entered their experience. You're yeah, you're, you, you're sort of in, in, <laughs> impinging on their experience yeah. if they don't want you to be doing that. So mm. that's part of the consent speech as well. There, there are so many different little, like you said, nuggets of how this works. And so the different greeters all come from their own perspectives. But we have, you know, five or six different examples of if you're going to do this, you need consent. If you're going to do this, you need consent. If you're going to do this, you know, you don't just go up and touch someone on the shoulder and go, hey, does that feel good? You go up to them and say, hey, I'd really like to massage your shoulder. Would you like me to do that? Right. And if they say yes, then you can do it. You don't start doing it and then ask for permission. People, you know. I have to say that is like, that happens all the time, I think, where at least in the touchy-feely communities, it's like hand mm -hmm. on shoulder. Is this okay? That's not <laughs> asking for consent. Yeah. You have already like. <laughs> right. And I think, and, and some of that is a little new. So I think a lot of play spaces used to have a kind of a touch and ask permission. Um, and so a lot of people who actually come from different communities, uh, we're actually training them into something new. Uh, so not every community has the ask before you touch rules. And, uh, you know, because people come from different spaces and different experiences. And so it could actually be a little more difficult to train people who have come from prior training than people who have never done anything because they don't know. They're just like, you tell me what to do. This is all new to me right. um, because they're having to learn something new. Yeah, there are communities that, you know, that play together where the sort of the ethos is stop means stop. And anything other than a no is a yeah, go ahead. 
And those may work for those people if they've been friends for a long time, and that's fine. But we're not looking at that type of a community. We're trying to build a new experience for people. Mm -hmm. And our feeling is that this is a really cool thing. And if you get sort of burned by it in your first experience, you're not going to come back to it. And so we want people to be very, very comfortable from the get-go. And even in the more experienced communities, I think that this is a better way to approach it anyway. I think it's sexy. Totally. And, you know, and you talk about voyeurism and, and watching someone. We, we heard a wonder, I heard a wonderful story about, um, and uh, a couple who, they were in the dome and they were older couple. It was their first time and they're doing their thing. And there was a, they were a male, female couple. And there was two men, uh, a gay couple, and they were interacting and playing. And they were like, and they were watching. They had never seen that before. And so they, oh, we got to ask. And so they, of course, asked the couple, like, I'm like, but they were trying to like, how do we do this to not bother them? And, yeah. and they asked and, you know, like, you know, can we watch? And, you know, and, and the couple was like, oh, hell yeah. You know, like, go ahead and watch. And they, you know, that made it even more exciting for the couple. You know, they were having fun with it. And, and it was, and afterwards they left, they were chatting and talking and it was this wonderful, like, experience for both of them, because the the older couple like was like we'd never seen anything like that, and you know we were accepting, but it was so different for us. And to, again, what a it's like a learning environment, and yet a sexy environment. And they everyone was excited and had a great time. It's a win win situation. It really is, and we hear about something like that, we're like, yay. <laughs> Yeah. Can you share some other examples of like, I'm, I want to put, put me in the moment. And I know there's many different ways that the, the group orgy can evolve, but, uh, what, you know, how, how does it tend to happen once you're inside on the, on the non-private side or the well, non-justice side? Usually, uh, and I can't really say usually that might not right. be the right word, but <laughs> one of the ways it starts is there will be a group that shows up together. Okay. And you know, what we say is we are open to couples and moresomes. We don't allow singles. Right. Um, for, a variety of obvious reasons. But, you know, a, a group of four or six or eight people will show up together and they will go into the open to more section and they'll start playing and then other couples will approach them um, or they will approach other couples and go, hey, we're here together. Do you guys want to join us? And it turns into, you know, a, a quote orgy. Now, if there are eight couples and each couple is only playing with the partner they brought, we still consider that an orgy. Okay. It's just not group is. sex. I was going to say, well, like, what is still an orgy. what's the definition? How many an does it take orgy, for an orgy? An orgy is more than one points of sexual interaction within a defined space. Huh? So it may or may not contain group sex. Mm -hmm. So it could have group sex and some singular sex, but it, an, an orgy is just more than one point of sexual interaction. So technically, if you were in, uh, say, a college dorm and you and your roommate were having sex in one bed and I mean, you were having sex in one bed and your roommate was having sex in the other bed. Congratulations. You were part of an orgy. You might've just not realized it. <laughs> a lot of college kids can now cross that off their bucket list. Cross yes. it off the list. I got to tell you, it's pretty funny. Sometimes people will like come up to the front of the, the space and go, Hey, where do I sign up for the orgy? Uh, <laughs> it's like, mm, it doesn't work quite that way. You know? Well, I mean, you said it was obvious and I think it is for many reasons but still could we go into like why you don't let singles into the space well <laughs> I don't want to be insensitive um but the reality the unfortunate reality is there is a creepy old guy problem uh there's actually a, a aggressive young female problem oh um believe it or not um one of the mixed benefits I'm sorry I don't know I'm hopefully you won't be hearing my gardener he's that's grinding okay. out in the front yard. I don't know. <laughs> hope that's not coming through the mic. Um, we occasionally will have young women that show up by themselves and like, hey, everybody wants a hot young chick. And the reality is, no, not everybody wants a hot young chick. They want to be in their scene and they want you to bring a partner. And sometimes partners will break up and go into different groups and that's okay. But couples have to come together and leave together. We don't allow stragglers. We don't want people making other people uncomfortable. And unfortunately, through socialization and the way that our society has sort of trained men to be more aggressive, we find that um, single men specifically can be problematic in the space because they'll just go couple to couple. Hey, can I join you? 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 And that kind of burns everybody else out. We don't want that kind of energy. Of and as we were developing, there were a lot of areas, because uh, again, we've Gosh, we've been on Playa in like the 2003. 
uh, and it's evolved since then. But there were a lot of areas that, you know, tried sexual spaces and, and were doing what can happen is you will end up with a voyeuristic couples who they want to be seen and they, they like that attention. Um, and then when you let in singles, it ends up being a circle of men jerking off to one couple or two couples in the center performing to everyone. And it just kind of de-evolves into that. And so, it, which that's fine. If that's what you're looking for, that's exactly the experience you should have. But that wasn't the experience that we were trying to create. We were trying to create a place where people could come in together and experience something together. Right. And so, so that's why it's the, the no singles is because it, when you get too many people who are simply voyeurs and trying to get into a scene, it, it does affect everyone else mm -hmm. who yeah, that's are, not what they're looking for. We are, we hold ourselves out as a space for couples and Morrisons. We are not a pickup place. And so, you know, if people come in as singles and they're like, well, can't we just hang out? Can't I just hang out in Aphrodite's garden until I meet somebody? It's like, no, this is Burning Man. Go out. There's <laughs> 25 square miles out there of beautiful people. Go meet someone and come back with them. Right. You know, but we don't want we don't want that kind of a scene. And, and like Shade said, if if that's the kind of scene you want where there's, you know, a small group of people in the middle playing and everybody else is standing around watching. That's great. That's there's absolutely nothing wrong with that scene. That's just not the scene that we want to offer. Right. Yeah. And and there's plenty. And th that's the amazing thing about Burning Man is whatever you want, you can pretty much find it. It can, it can be hard to locate it, but right. it's usually there. <laughs> is there an age limit for who you let into the space? Legal age. Over 18. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, and you got to have ID. Yes, oh, we do check ide identification. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to us. Mm -hmm. So. And I'm curious about, I mean, you're speaking about people, all kinds of people who come, you know, Burning Man has a bit of a diversity problem from 2013 to 2018. Black burners represented only 1% or less of attendees. So I'm curious what steps that the Orgy Dome takes to make burners who may have historically been marginalized feel welcome and safe and how you see those demographics playing out if there's an, any sort of inclination. In terms I, of I think it's great that Burning Man as a as an entity has taken an interest in this. We've always been inclusive. Of course. Uh, we have people of all racial and ethnic origins in our camp as camp members. We have black people, we have brown people, we have Hispanics, we have Native Americans, we have Europeans, we have South Americans, you, you name it, we got it. Um, all sexual not, orientations. All, all sexual the, orientations. However you, yeah. and that was a part of it. We wanted the Orgy Dome to, we wanted our community to represent the community of if, you know, everyone, if it's, if we're all inclusive, we want our community to be all inclusive. We so, a, yeah. I'm sorry. We had a bit of a problem at one point because there was a, we, we, we got a reputation for not allowing gay men to enter as couples. Hmm. And we stuck a pin in that really fast. What had happened is for a short period of time, because we only allow couples and moresomes, single guys would pretend to be gay in order to get into the dome. And so as soon as they'd get in, they'd split up. Now we've Clever. figured out a variety of ways to deal with that. Wow. But couple, well, I, we're not going to tell you that because <laughs> oh, right, we don't right, want right. people to figure out how to bust the, you know, we've got remedies for that. But and it's changed it, over the years. Too. It has, we've evolved too, because some of the things that we initially tried, we found, you know, people would tell us, hey, that's kind of offensive. Well, like for example, early on, we'd say, hey, look, you guys are really a couple. Yeah, kiss. And there'd be that moment of, oh shit. And as soon as we'd see that moment, it's like, okay, Get out of here, right? But, um, you know, there were some gay people that said, hey, look, that's kind of <laughs> offensive because you don't require heterosexual couples to kiss. We said, yeah, you're right. right. So we changed that practice. We're, we're evolving as well. We learn from our mistakes as well, and we take pride in that. But, you know, um, because people had seen us reject groups of men, they assumed that we were not open to gay men, and that is absolutely not true. Sure. And we have plenty of gay couples that camp with us. Mm -hmm. And so speaking about, you know, about just the role of the Orgy Dome in the larger ecosystem of Burning Man and how they inform one another, how would you talk about how the 10 principles get enacted specifically in your space? How do they manifest or how are they applied? I think we're all of them. <laughs> yeah. um, Participation. I, you know, yeah. Radical self-reliance, <laughs> radical self-expression. Mm -hmm. gifting, um, 
civic responsibility. I mean, we're all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think we actually set out to do that, but it sort of just, I mean, we grew organically. The, the Orgy Dome started literally with a small tent uh, that a couple put up. They were sharing an RV with another couple and they didn't have a space to play. So they stuck a little tent outside and put a joke sign on it that said Orgy Dome. And so they have someplace to go play. And then the next morning they came out to use it and there were other people already playing in it. And that was sort of the the, the genesis of it. And it started to grow. I joined the camp in 2006 and I guess 2008-ish it grew into such a thing where we decided we can't just have an open space because it was that for a while. It was a and sandwich. Then, we had a sandwich board in front of the kind of the 18 by 18 structure with a little a 10 by 20 Costco. And it said, you know, remove your shoes, couples and marsums only, ask before you touch, no photos. Like it was just a little, and there was a bouncer that kind of like hung out and, you know, what's going on? Should I walk in and see if there's a problem? And it, it, it evolved from that. Yeah. So 5,400 square feet. So big evolution. Yeah, I, I want to give yeah. Lefty and Shade, Shade and her husband Lefty really deserve a lot of the credit for having the aha moment that this is truly a teachable moment, that we can turn this into something other than a fuck space because it is way more than that. And it, you know, when when people hear that I'm involved in this, like, oh, it's just a place where stinky hippies fuck. It's like, now nah, you're missing the point. You know, um, it really is much more than that. And so we are now taking it out into the world. We formed a nonprofit. We have a proper board. We have 300 camp members all over the world. And any particular year, we have around 200 that camp with us. It takes a lot of people to bring it all there, build it all, make sure that it's working all the time, which we can't guarantee um, because it's Burning Man and shit happens. Our generator breaks down, things like that. Um, And then we have to have it properly monitored. We have to have people, you know, at the door. We have to have people at the front of the line checking IDs. We have to have people at the door of the greeter station checking IDs. We have to have greeters. We have to have people watching Aphrodite's garden. We have to have people making sure that people going in are reminded of where they put their clothes and where they put their buckets. And, you know, it's a lot of work. There are depending on the time of day, there's anywhere from 12 to 20 people on every minute of the day that the dome is open. Mm -hmm. And we have, you know, workshops and little private groups that go in and out. So and we'll have, uh, I mean, we got to clean it. We got to have yeah. enough sheets for it. It's not like I can sit and go, oh yeah, just do the laundry and back. Like we got to bring sheets for the <laughs> yeah. week. So do you change them? How, what, what are the logistics of that? Is it like after every use you swap them out or how does this work? No, we can't. We don't have the ability to do that yet, Um, but we we change them when they need to be changed. When they start to get a little bit gross, we change them. And we have uh, over a thousand, I believe, at this point, well over a thousand sets of sheets. And so, you know, we figure out how many beds we actually we've got way more than that. Now to think of it, because we got about was there 26 mattresses alone. Yeah. yeah, there's 26 mattresses plus couches and other stuff. That was two years ago. Um, each one of those gets changed five, six, seven, eight times a day. And we don't have the ability to do laundry on the playa. So we have the, the new stuff and we have the old stuff and the old stuff goes in trash bags. And we take it into Reno and we throw them in industrial washing machines and clean them and then pack them up and put them away in our big truck Till next year. Wow. So it's it's thousands and thousands of sheets. When when it was smaller and it was still hundreds of sheets, I you, we, I would bring it home. They would come home with me and I would stick it in the back seat of my car and I would go to the local laundry mat. And of course, I'm trying to use the big industrial machines. And, you know, we shake out the, the sheets pretty well, like because we try to find things. Some people say, hey, I lost this or I lost this and we'll mail it back to them if we find it or people will come back and try to get it. But as I'm pulling these sheets out of these bags and I'm trying to stick it in this industrial laundry, like condom wrappers and things are falling to the ground. And, and I'm seeing like very like, like horrified looking parents <laughs> <laughs> at the laundry mat staring at like, what is this woman yeah, doing? And I'm like, PTA, like- <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, busy weekend. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So there's beds, there's sheets. Dildo falls to right. the ground, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so there's beds. You give towels still? Is that what I remember? Or people bring their own towels? Or We we ask them to bring their own, but we do have them available. Mm-hmm. We provide condoms and lube and 
dental dams when people want them. Mm-hmm. You know, people will, it, it, it's one of the funniest things about Burning Man. Of course, we're all about radical self-reliance right. and people will show up. It's like, well, you don't have my brand of lube. I'm like, <laughs> that's our problem. You know, we here's eight different versions and we don't have the one you want. Right. That's not our fault. Right. right? Um, don't look a gift horse in the mouth is probably <laughs> totally. an appropriate phrase. But look, we we do the best we can. A lot of stuff is donated. A couple of years ago, one of my clients donated 5,000 condoms, uh, and that was not enough for the week, believe me. <laughs> no. But, um, you know, we, we do everything we can to make it as safe as possible. We can't guarantee anything. Obviously, you know, there are sexually transmitted diseases that happen, and there's pregnancy is always a possibility. This right. is and one of the things that comes with sex. that's self-reliance, of course. It's radical self-reliance. <laughs> Um, but we tell people, look, you know, you should, if you're meeting up with somebody that you don't know, you should ask them about their sexual disease history. Mm-hmm. And if they're using birth control, you probably want to know. And if they're not using birth control, you really want to know. And, <laughs> you know, things like that. These are all part of the consent speech and yeah. the, the orientations. And because it is very dry out in the desert, we de- we definitely provide lube. But one of the biggest... Yeah, we go through a lot of lube. A lot of lube. Um, it's, and that's... A reason that condom failure is a lot of times lack of lubrication and just the dryness of the desert itself. You know, I tell people, like, don't feel bad about you losing, using lube. Like, it's a good thing. <laughs> totally. So can you speak a little bit more? We started with it. We got into its origin story, but just help mapping sort of the evolution from, from that okay. dome to the now and some of the um, work you're doing. So in the world. you guys, I think Lefty and Shade joined in, was it seven or eight? Seven, yeah. Seven. I think seven sounds so about I, right. I camped for the camp the first time in six. They jo- they joined in seven. I was actually with a different camp in seven. I came back in eight. And then the other camp that I was camping with sort of got absorbed. Uh, I convinced them that resistance is futile. Um, and I guess 2007, we had about 80 people, I think. Um, sounds about right. There was right. another uh, gentleman named Dr. Dave who was uh, integral in getting the camp to grow from the little tiny space. He's the one that first bought some of the larger structures uh, and turned into a bigger camp. It, it sort of went from about a dozen to 50 to 100, and then it went from 100 to 200 very quickly. Um, what we found was that once Lefty and Shade turned it into a more, for lack of a better term, respectable uh, undertaking, people wanted to camp with us because they liked what we were doing and they wanted to help. And so... We had the other problem, which is we have A, too many people, and B, the wrong kind of people trying to camp with us. We are not just selective about the people that we let in for obvious reasons. We're selective about the people that join and camp with us. We want people that share our ethos. We want people that are not there just to hook up. You know, this is a a serious undertaking. And so we want people that share what we do, that share what we believe. And by the way, we have monogamous people that camp with us that still believe in the ethos and want to participate. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of went from 100 to 200, I guess, between about 08 and maybe 10 or 12. And then it's just sort of been ramping up slowly ever since. As the dome gets bigger and we need more stuff and we need a bigger truck and, you know, it just... It, we went from a, a 60k generator to a 90k generator to 120k generator. Uh, you know, you you're running. Solar. Well, we can't yeah. because with the number of swamp coolers and 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 uh, air conditioners that are necessary to keep the dome manageable, we can't run that off a solar array. We have, oh my God, we've done the math. Um, <laughs> it's it's I, been I, granted if somebody wanted to make sure that. We could be green and could donate the money to us to make this happen. We would be there. Somebody wants to donate a half a million dollar solar array. We're down, but I don't think we can do it. And and honestly, that's the one of the biggest things we've had to grow slowly because people who have helped us out has been mostly people who camp with us or you know people who are just to believe in the system um, of what we're trying to do. Uh, Again. A lot of camps form for many different reasons. Some are, oh, we all live in the same area or, oh, we all like to do the same thing. So there's a lot of poly camps, as he was saying, we have monogamous people who are with us. Mm -hmm. Well, we're not about that we like to do a particular thing. We're about what we provide. The name of our camp is, and then there's only love. Mm -hmm. The gift that we provide Mm -hmm. to the Mm -hmm. residents of Black Rock City is the orgy dome. And so everyone who camps with us believes in the gift and believes in what we're doing. Um, we had a camp member who joked that he's like, I've never been to the dome yet. He was a single guy. He hadn't 
hooked up with someone in a way that he wanted that he wanted to bring them into the dome at that moment. Yeah, there so, have been a there have been a couple of years where one, my wife and I haven't made it into the dome for one reason or another. Right. We're too busy doing other stuff, or we're you know we're you can't be inside playing when you're outside greeting. Um, and you can't be inside playing when you're actually the dome monitor. Occasionally, like I'll be in there and people will know me and like, hey, come join. I'm, I'm on duty right now. I can't, you know. Um, it There's a lot of responsibility to putting on a camp like this. It's If this was done wrong, it could be very unsafe. Totally. And we don't do it wrong. No. And that was one of the reasons that, we, you know, when we saw it, I said, this could be so much more. But at the same time, I said, Burning Man is getting to be so much more. This could also be a disaster if it's done wrong. And so to me, it was important to make a transition as Burning Man was growing and changing, as we saw the numbers increase as Burning Man started getting more and more popular, that, you know, this is a beautiful offering Mm -hmm. and it has the potential to be even a better offering, but it also has the potential to have something seriously go wrong. So how can we... How can we prevent that? How can we keep it beautiful and special? So yeah, that was just we do the, the best thought. we can. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> knock on something wooden. Yeah. That's, um, we, we've been pretty lucky thus far. Very <laughs> successful for my my adventures in there. I, <laughs> Thank, my, you. My, hi. Thank you. Thank so you. Come of again. <laughs> can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> that that is one of my questions for you. Is like now, what are the ways in which you've gone? What's the digital orgy in the days of COVID? <laughs> Oh, God. Well, we've actually had a couple of Zoom parties amongst the camp members, Mm -hmm. um, but that's just a private thing because we're all friends. Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually concerned this year if the org had decided to have the event. You know, when this whole thing started in March, nobody really knew where things were going to go. And we had had a couple of board meetings about could we even do this responsibly if, you know— if the org decided to throw the actual event anyway. And fortunately, they canceled it before we had to pull our own plug. Um, I, I'm not sure it's going to be a safe thing to do until there's a vaccine and until the infection rate is so low that, you know, indoor gatherings of large numbers of people is going to be a safe thing to do. Mm-hmm. So we don't know what's going to happen next year. We don't know what's going to happen the year after that. I think by 2022, we're going to be okay. Um, but 2021 is, is up in the air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We hope to do it. Um, you know, if there are, uh, instant, um, COVID tests that are available and someone wants to donate eight or 9,000 of them, <laughs> yeah. we might be able to do something. I mean, you know, I, I joke about that number, but I, I, you may recall when we do our orientations, we give people wristbands. Mm. Once we know that they've had their orientation, those wristbands are numbered. So we can track how many people come in and out of the dome. And the last few years, we've had between 75 and 8,500 wristbands, right? And so if you think that, what, half the people that we give those bands to come back more than once, we've got 10, 12, 15,000 people going through that space every week. There's a lot of responsibility. We could not in good conscience risk, you know, a super spreader event under those circumstances. So where COVID goes is going to have a a pretty significant impact mm-hmm. on what happens with the orgy dome next year. It, a good example was for on Friday one year, we we kind of have a number tracker of, you know, we call out numbers like at a deli, you know, call a number, you know, 162, mm-hmm. 163, The 169. secret is if you get number 69, you get to jump the line. Oh, <laughs> pro tip. I'm going to edit that out and keep it to myself. No, <laughs> and, but we, so for that day, we were keeping track of, so we gave out 1,500 numbers, like, like that's to a, a couple or more some, right? So that means at minimum, we had 3,000 people go through that dome on a Friday. We called it fucking Friday because everybody decided that was the day they were going to go to the dome. 3,000 people on what? That's minimum. Minimum 3,000 people on that day. <laughs> wow. So. Uh, and yeah, how many at a time, busy. though, in total in the space? The space could, what do you think, Al? I, I'd say it could probably hold a good 200. 200-ish. If it's really yeah. bumping, you know. Mm-hmm. Significant. Yeah. It, you know, we'll, we'll pack them in. We really will pack people in in the space <laughs> if we can. <laughs> Still more they get kind of upset U-Haul. if we don't pack them in. That's kind of what they're right. going for. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Look, no, we, we don't want it to be so, you know, people are tripping over each other. It's not, we don't want it to be an unhealthy environment, but in the, in the just us space where it's, you know, just couples, there'll be a couple on a mattress. There'll be one or two couples on a couch. That's kind of how it is. In the open to more section where we use the larger mattresses, there may be three, six couples on a particular mattress and there's, you know, 20 of them in that room. And then there's people that are playing on the floor and there's people that are playing on the couches and you know, there we could probably get a couple hundred in there. I've never really thought about mm-hmm. it. I'd love to hear how each of you found your way to not only the Orgy Dome, but to sex positive places and also just how your work and your or your lives outside of Burning Man intersect with this. I know that, Alan, you are working, you're a First Amendment lawyer, and clearly there's a lot of overlap, I think, in terms of erotic expression. And so, yeah, I'd love to hear yeah. from each of you about those. I, I, I kind of came to this in a very strange way. I was raised in a uh, a liberal, but, you know, sort of sexually conservative household. Um, and in my early twenties, I met a girl who dragged me kicking and screaming into open relationships. I was not down for it. Um, in fact, the first time I found out that she had played with someone else while we were still together, I dumped her. Um, and then she convinced me to take her back and we went to a couple of parties and I sort of had an aha moment. We ended up splitting up. And then my next girlfriend and I, became members of a very famous uh, sort of underground Los Angeles swing scene. Um, and so I became sex positive from that perspective. But I had come from the music industry. I was working in the adult entertainment industry as a producer and a cameraman and an editor and got arrested filming a political fundraiser. Uh, and that made me, yeah, it's a long story. This will take the whole thing. <laughs> Um, but I was I was in Vegas during the AVN show and we were filming a political fundraiser and it got raided by the cops. And I was so mad about the whole thing that I decided I was going to go to law school. And my plan was uh, to stay in the pornography industry and keep myself out of trouble. And that didn't work out. I became, uh, because of a couple of things that happened right after, right after I got out of school, I became a lawyer full time and I've been doing that ever since. And because I have come from that world I was accepted into that world as an attorney for a lot of people um, because I come from the, you know, the alternative lifestyle groups. I represent a lot of those. I'm very, very sort of committed to the concept of personal sexual freedom. And so I'm fortunate that I get to use my intellect and my schooling to try to prevent government censorship and public shaming. I mean, I, I think that For example, like I said earlier, I think prostitution should be legal. Uh, It should be decriminalized at a minimum. Uh, But I am not okay with any sort of forced prostitution or coercion into sexual conduct. And if someone wants to engage in sex for money uh, and the other partner is down with it, I don't see how that's any of the government's business. Um, On the other hand, if somebody is coerced into engaging in sex for money, uh, the person that coerced them should be locked up for a significant period of time. I don't think that these are inconsistent viewpoints. And so Orgy Dome to me has really turned into a walking the walk, talking the talk kind of thing. Um, I get to uh, provide this to people. Um, I get to teach people about how I feel about things in a non-judgmental way. I mean, you know, occasionally there will be a couple that will show up and they go inside and they're back out in two minutes like, oh no, this is this is not for us. It's like, cool, you know, there's Kidsvilles on the other side of the city and there's all sorts of great stuff at Burning Man. You don't have to be here. Um, but more often than not, it's the other experience. It's people that come in that have never done this before uh, and they come out with a completely different viewpoint on things. And I'm really happy about that. Mm. Uh, for me, it was it was very different. Uh, my husband and I went to Burning Man. Uh, we had we had a friend who went all the time and was telling us about it. And Burning Man isn't the, we're political consultants. We own a political consulting firm. I've been uh, been running political campaigns for about twenty five years, and uh, so it's it's very close to an election season. So it was something that we were always having a hard time trying to get to. Right. But eventually, we made it to Burning Man. And of course, even though I read everything, like how, how do you do it? You know, the sun, you got a tent. Oh my goodness. I was miserable. Like the first year, it was the hottest year on Playa at that point. 
And I, you know, I, we did everything wrong. I didn't have a double layer tent. The sun would pound on me in the morning. And I just, I was just like, oh, this is too hot. I need air conditioning, you know? And I mean, I loved it. I loved the experience. I loved the art. I loved everything except for the fact that it was a thousand degrees. <laughs> I'm like, dust, I can handle heat. Oh my goodness. So when we were going to go again, I said, find me a place with air conditioning. Does that even exist? So, interestingly enough, my husband was looking for places with air conditioning. And so in the description of, and then there's only love, it said 24 hour AC. And we were um, at that time uh, open to playing in front of other people. We didn't have any problem with that. We didn't have sex in front of other people. That sounds fantastic. That sounds fun. We weren't necessarily like into voyeurism, but it was just like, hey, it's like live porn. Yay. I like porn. It makes me excited. And so, you know, a little spark and things. And so, but I said, you know, let's talk to these people because this is Burning Man. So AC could mean anything. I'm thinking air conditioning. It could be anal cranial. I could come in there and they'll be like, welcome to the anal cranial tent. Bend over. My head's going up your ass. You know, like I didn't know what it was going to be. So, but it happened to be air conditioning and I'm like, fantastic. I got a place where I could hang out and, and play with you and I'll have some air conditioning. Honestly, it started because of air conditioning for me. That was it. I didn't have any type of other profound things going on. I wasn't trying to, you know, I was a political person. I was changing the world over. I was getting money for schools, making sure schools were built and good people were getting into office, all local election stuff, you know, change your world around you, make the world a better place. I was not looking at doing anything in like the, you know, sex positive consent world. But once I got there and once I saw what it was, and again, that potential, it, everything just kind of changed. And I was like, how could I help? That was, that was what we left with. Um, there was, and the people who had been putting this on for a long time had been volunteering to do this for a very long time. And I know from political experience that we work on volunteers, work on volunteers is what makes things happen. And it's hard to be a volunteer. You really have to take good care of volunteers and make sure that they're supported. And so that was one of the big things is like, how can I help? How can I help you make this to be the place that it could be? And so that's really how it evolved for us was seeing something that had such a wonderful potential to make a difference in people's lives. Um, how can we do this in a way that that is sustainable mm -hmm. and is, you know, changeable with society and, and will move on to something. But in all fairness, I just wanted air conditioning. That was really Well, it. you've earned it. Not everyone <laughs> earns their air conditioning at Burning Man. But. Al is fantastic because we have had times where like generators have burned out and things like that. And Al has always made sure that I have air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, my rig has its own backup Jenny. So anybody that needs shade or air gets the right place. Also noted. Uh, Wow. Well, thank you both so much, not just for this conversation, but for the tremendous labor of love that bringing the space and monitoring it. And, and this it's such a, a, a deep offering, really. And I think to 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 what you were speaking about earlier in the conversation shade, like, of course, there's these misconceptions about Albert. Wow, it's just they think of the the truck of people fucking as per my experience. But really, yeah, I think being able to have a sex positive, non-judgmental, open space to sort of play with boundaries and have some self-discovery. I know that when I went there at a younger age, it was a very healing space for me to be in. And it's very healing, I think, to be able to see and normalize all different kinds, as you were saying, of bodies and of also, you know, without getting voyeuristic about it, unless invited, um, to see, you know, how people are self-expressing in that way. I think that that was a very liberating experience for me. And um, it's a beautiful. Well, we're, we're glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we hope to be able to do it again real soon. Yeah. Can I tell you? Yes. And thank you so much for having us on the show. I really do yeah. appreciate it. It it allows us that opportunity to explain what we do, because, again, we have this tantalizing name, which I don't mind. It brings people in. <laughs> and and then from there, they get to, to move on and experience so much more than I think that they were hopefully just originally looking to do. And if you're looking for us at the at the burn, don't look in the what, where, when guide for Orgy Dome because we're not under Orgy Dome. We're under and then there's only love. So right. We are the, what currently we found out we were the number one for a couple years in the row asked question of the Rangers is where is the Orgy Dome? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure I wasted 
or I not wasted. <laughs> I went down a rabbit hole trying to find it one year. Like, where is it? Never where it must be. I don't understand. Well, somebody once entered like our space years, many years prior, and this guy walked in. He goes, "You exist." It's real. Yeah. It's like, I've been looking for you for years. I like you. I thought you were like Daft Punk at the trash fence. Like it wasn't a real thing. <laughs> yeah, non-burners won't get that reference, but there, there are a lot of uh, sort of uh, myths about Burning Man that people talk about. Uh, Daft Punk at the trash fence is one of them. They've never actually been there. One of these years, they're actually going to show up and everybody's going to lose their shit. But uh, and then they'll go many the people orgy. think that the Orgy Dome is just, you know, a myth that it doesn't really exist. And people sort of stumble in front and, you know, it's not like we're not obvious. We have this huge sign that says Orgy Dome. And like, oh, my God, it's real. So, yeah, that, <laughs> and, that's always we, great. And we really do pr uh, protect people's privacy. That is a very big thing. We try to make sure that nobody's taking a camera, The people out in the line, um, you know, what happens in the orgy dome stays in the orgy dome. Um, we have had high profile people who have come through the orgy dome. Um, this is, we do not, it's, it's something that we understand that what people do at Burning Man, what people do with their sexual lives needs to be protected. And so that is something else that we always make sure that this is a space that people, when I say they're free to explore, they're also free to explore without having it, you know, we don't want this to go back out into the world unless that's something that they want. So um, see, uh, privacy is very important to us as well. And that's something that we really keep on top of. So that I think also does the mystique of the place because there's not these photos. You don't look, you don't find photos of what happens that goes on in the orgy dome. Right, right. Well, I hope to be there again with you soon on the playa in general and, you know, to perhaps join your efforts one day. So I look well, forward. Come camp with us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> forward to the day that that. And yeah, all of the work that you're doing outside. I know I was looking at consensuality and that you're giving workshops and these conversations, I think, are really impactful. So thank you for that. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. If this episode turned you on, consider dropping a five in the ratings, subscribing to the show, and sending it to a friend. We're still a new podcast, so if you're listening right now, you're part of our inner circle. That's right, you. And we'd be so grateful to you for helping us build our audience and our community. Also, because you're part of our inner circle, perhaps you'd like to join our Street Talk series, intimate conversations with people like you and people not like you, since our intention is to feature the full gamut of sexual experiences on the show. No stories too mundane or too outrageous, so if you're open about discussing your personal journey around sex, we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you're a womb-bodied person who bleeds, I highly recommend that you check out Ova Moon, a multivitamin that has done wonders for my cycle and can do wonders for yours. Use the discount code strippers and stages at ovamoon.com. Seriously, check it out. Special thank you to Casey Odesser and Sasha Carney for their impeccable research and preparation for these conversations, and to Liliana Estes, our badass audio engineer who makes these episodes so easy on the ears. Thanks also to Ben Euphrat for helping get the show off the ground. He engineered all of season one and for his continued guidance on the show. Stay sexy, folks. <laughs> <laughs>